0: Wake me up before you go-go, because this is V'ger
1: Please, a hateful
0: voyage the Delta Quadrant.
1: My name is Joseph. And I'm a guy who normally records podcasts on Thursday, but I'm here on a Tuesday, because Wednesday is going to be Cyberpunk Day. Peter.
0: <laughs> yes. In the year 2020, this may be the only thing that brings us all together. Uh, <laughs> it is the day we were recording this is uh, December 8th, 2020. And in the United States, starting at seven o'clock Eastern, Cyberpunk is officially released uh, in this country tomorrow. And uh, Peter has permitted me, Joseph, to uh, use my I don't have kids privilege to know life a video game for two days after I got work off and agreed to record a couple days early. So thank you, Peter. I appreciate I appreciate this favor you've done me.
1: It's. It's the least I can do. I've certainly gone deep in the weeds on video games myself. And while I cannot commit to the full balls deepness that you're going to go on this thing, uh, I'll be I'll be there playing uh, right alongside. Yeah, it's 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 the one thing maybe in in 2020 that can really just. And what's crazy to me is when I talk to other nerds out there, I know some people are building computers or whatever, and they're like, oh, here's all the stuff I wanted, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, this this will get you through it. But, you know, cyberpunk. And they're like, what's cyberpunk? And it's like, what what rock are you living under? I look at them the same way someone's like, you didn't hear that aliens invaded or that, you know, time travel <laughs> thing or that bombs fell and uh, Eurasia is gone now. Like, this is life. This is a big fucking deal.
0: I think the game has the level of hype that it has not just because of the pedigree of its developers, but also that the cyberpunk aesthetic, like the Gibson novel aesthetic, if you will, has always been incredibly popular, but has never had good pop culture properties to deliver it. And this is the promise of a Gibson novel you can play that's very interactive, that has a very lived in world. And That's turned out to be like people are hungry for that every time it rolls around, like Altered Carbon, for example.
1: And I mean, you could point to Deuce X, right? And say that that established it and that did it. But it's just the scale and the scope is right.
0: Yeah, it's different when it you know, those games are great, but they're very on rails. I, I guess the modern itinerations in particular, which I think definitely capture that aesthetic far better. Uh, you know, they're still pretty linear games. This is an open world. You know, hundreds of hours, very Rockstar esque in that element, although not in, necessarily in the gameplay, which is more role play oriented. Um, the incredible customization of your character, rather than you're playing the protagonist and up you want to have boobs you're...
1: and a dick, you know? Yeah, whatever, you know, it. it's the future. Three balls, three. I know what you're saying. Hey, I thought this was a Star Trek podcast, but let me let me counter this by saying that if this was Delta Flyer, you'd still have another 6 to 7 minutes of them shilling their premium Patreon content before they actually talked about anything Star Trek either. So,
0: we're They're very heavy on good. the revenue generation and we just want to talk to you about a game that you were already going to play. But <laughs> s- speaking of incredibly destructive devices falling
1: from the sky, since it's something you already mentioned. Uh, What episode did we watch this week? Season six, episode seven, Dragon's Teeth. This, you asked me at the end of the last episode uh, to not read anything out of the Memory Alpha. uh, Correct. Spoil it, which, watching the episode, I forgot that you had made that request, and it wasn't until I was going to do my pre-podcast homework that it, it dawned on me while I was watching the episode there's some there's some big fingerprints that I saw and now that I'm putting two and two together uh, I've got some predictions I'll make a little later in but uh, this was this is an interesting episode this I could tell was a money episode this episode left me feeling at the end like I just watched like some 80s cartoon where they're getting into like second season and now they need to launch like wave two of the toy line and they're like now here's the new threat look at how badass these guys are look at their fucking spaceships look at this shit go out and tell your mom to buy these toys because the hundreds <laughs> need to fight these new frog guys and all uh, the good
0: guys will get, like, new attachments and, like, accessories you gotta buy to be able yeah. to fight the, fight the new villains. Like, oh, now it's they the, the, the new line power. of Megazords for the new season of, of Mighty
1: Morphin Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. The green Power Rangers shown up to, like, help them, and I don't know who that would really be oh the new character that's joined the crew to help them combat the the dreaded uh whatever they was a bad are.
0: guy turn into a good guy
1: seems a little op I think we all know who that is Neelix, Neelix. And- <laughs> <laughs> this is a great Neelix episode too man like I, we've been asking for him to come back for a while and I think uh I think he does a, a good job in this
0: and sometimes Peter I wish that we did this in a you know fully visual medium. You know, like a video podcast, because I would love to like drop in the Always Sunny in Philadelphia like theme song right here and have the title card The Gang Accidentally Wakes Up a Bunch of Kirkland Brand Cardassian Evil Space Hitlers.
1: <laughs> like, it's interesting <laughs> that you call them Cardassians uh, because I, I've certainly felt like the neck ridgy, like kind of almost like Cobra.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: whatever the fuck that the, the crown of a cobra or whatever that they look like is. a bunch of snakes they do look snaky. they look <laughs> snaky uh but they've also got the klingon ridges on their heads what are these guys called they're they're the, the Vodwar Vodwar. that's right um but they got the klingon ridges and the one dude like sitting there like with a pitch and a tent about the klingons i'm gonna call these guys at first i was gonna call them the the Cardalongs like Cardassian Klingons, but I think the Klingassians, (laughs) the The Klingassians.
0: I I think this episode slaps. I really do. Uh, I think that they uh, tried to introduce a cool sci-fi idea into the uh, constant blunderings of the start of Starship Voyager as it careens from Delta Quadrant Planet to Delta Quadrant Planet, living nothing but misery in their wake. And, uh, you know them happening across this race of secret, you know, super villains and waking them up. Yeah, on brand, on brand for our boys uh, uh, in the Federation. Uh, it's, hey, it's what they do. Living
1: witness. Remember Living Witness, the warship Voyager that just comes through and causes pain and suffering for everyone. Yeah, here you go. Um, we open up with money falling out of the sky, lots and lots oh, of yeah. money, so much money. The CG attack sequences that we get in this are I I think they hold up well for 2000 and for 2020. You know, like you could tell they they put some real money into this. You've got a nice looking uh, futuristic alien uh, planetscape and you just have photon torpedoes flying out of the sky, taking out skyscrapers, blowing shit up. It's wild. I was like, damn, you don't. This is like the first time I think we've ever seen something this harsh right out of the gate with Voyager.
0: Yeah. Planetary bombardment stuff like this is pretty rare in the franchise. And you can tell the difference between old CG that had money behind it and old CG that didn't based on the animation. Yeah. And I think that's what helps like keep it seem very uh, current even though the resolution on it's not very good. Like the effect obviously is nothing compared to what you could do now. The animation's crisp
1: and everything flows together well in it. And it just feels like, oh yeah, this is pretty good still. It's detailed. There's a lot of different shit. It's not like that garbage out of uh, Barge of the Damned where you've got six things being pictured and they all look like like crap. So no, uh, it's not every day that Voyager opens to orbital bombardment. You don't know what's happening here, but you know that someone has decided that this place needed to be nuked from orbit because it's the only way to be sure. Yeah, and, then, and it's be, it's happening. Like, the city's half-destroyed already. You've got,
0: you know, whole parts of buildings just blown out, and uh, the bombardment is
1: continuing. Now, you cut down to a... This might be 900 years ago, spoiler alert, but I know the caves when I see the caves. But these aren't just any old... <laughs> <laughs> Voyager hell caves. These are techno caves. These are caves with a poured concrete floor. These are caves with little um, steel girders and uh, stasis tubes and blinky lights and scientists or whatever these guys are going to end up being. You see a man and a woman and uh, the woman seems to have some apprehension. The guy had to cut a bunch of life pods loose because he had no choice. There was some power fluctuation. And the lady's putting up a little bit of a fight about getting into her stasis pot. And he says, listen, honey, uh, everything will be fine. It's only five years. And that's when I wrote my notes like <laughs> no and way. Narrator, in- narrator, it will not be five years.
0: <laughs> yeah, not at all. Nah, it's like the first very first thing you know you, what kind of story you're going to be dealing with if someone makes that kind of guarantee, it's like how many millennia in you know
1: eons into the future is this actually going to pay off you're talking about the sunny and philly uh, smash cuts like here's where you insert that title card like it'll only be five years do 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 <laughs> <laughs> the title is uh, the gang goes 900 years in the future
0: It's exactly 892 years in the future. Uh, We are reintroduced to the travails of the USS Voyager because it is accidentally dropped into a music video for a 90s techno band. Like, I can just feel like Sandstorm by Daruti in the background of this fucking, like, vortex CG. Like, of all the CG in this episode, this is the stuff that looks the worst.
1: Yeah, so they're like in this wormhole. And they're flying, but there's a bunch of trash bouncing around the wormhole. Um, this is not the clean, well-maintained wormholes that you're used to. This is like the Detroit freeway of wormholes. There's potholes so big in this wormhole that it will take the rim right off of your landing struts. And uh, Voyager is not there by choice. They got sucked in. Uh, Jane, got called into the bridge and she's like, what's going on? And everybody's kind of pretty, you know. Seems to be taking it super serious. But while they're flying around this thing, they see a manned vessel, which at first I thought was going to be someone who else is uh, stranded there. But no, you get these like bone face. Skeletor motherfuckers, as you said last week. Yes. Skeletors. Now, not the Chakotay retrograde virus from the space elf kind of Skeletor. Like these are Skeletor Skeletors. Yeah. Straight up like a bone mask. And they're not nice dudes. They say, hey, get the fuck out of here. And they're like, we're in here by accident. Can you help us? And they're like, yeah, we'll help you. So they like phase pulse him and knock him out of the stream. And then they jump out and say, all right, now drop your shields because we're going to board you and we're going to delete all evidence uh, of that little wormhole. And Janeway's like, no, fuck that.
0: At first, she tries to negotiate. She's like, hey, uh, thanks for pushing us out. Any chance we can like bargain with you to like travel through these because uh we accidentally went two hundred uh, light years and uh and it was in five minutes and that's uh that's something we're super in the market for so let's make a deal and then his response to that is no and also fuck you which uh delivers the the, the all important stakes of the episode for Voyager is that there is a uh for what feels like the millionth time a shortcut home dangled in front of them. That's that's all I need to be invested, man. Like, no, it's the purpose of the show. I'm not saying that because I'm saying they shouldn't do that. I'm saying we're here again. Like, here's another opportunity.
1: They have to do this every once in a while to like tease it. But, you know, you don't want to do too many. But more to that point, I mean, you can play this card as many times as you want, and it doesn't get old. And even though I know it's Gilligan's Island, like all the coconut coconut teleportation devices and, and whatever other goofy things they come up with the carrot, you're dangling in front of Voyager's face. Like, yeah, they can't grab it every time, but it sets realistic stakes that keeps me invested. It's not some bullshit, multi-phasic probe dilemma. They pulled out of their ass. Like these are this, this is what we're here for. And whatever silly series of events you're going to roll out in front of me, I can say, as long as it's in the pursuit of the meta plot, getting home cool i'm there let's do it i think you can
0: have too much of this i don't agree with you that it it's always the right call i think what's more interesting is the incremental steps right so uh the as they get closer they're going to have specific episodes where it's about really like permanent achievements that show a a close a more of a a connection or a closeness to home that are seem more durable and fitting within the story rather than these these temporary carrots i think that's my dividing
1: line but anyway the carrot is on the table i'm saying that shouldn't be every single episode of voyager but i'm saying anytime they play it it works for me and i have much more suspension of disbelief for zany plot antics when when this is on the table speaking of zany plot antics the skeletors have
0: escalated to a phaser fight with voyager very quickly and so they are putting a hurt on voyager as is often the case with its inconsistent portrayal of its combat prowess the the skeletor people apparently can immediately start uh, dropping uh, voyager's shields uh, into the low 20s and 30s. So they got to make for
1: cover. The problem they, is that the Skeletor people have very maneuverable ships that Tuvok is not able to target with the phasers. And maybe Voyager does have better guns, but if they can't hit the targets, it's not doing them any favors.
0: They decide to take cover in a nearby planet that they just so happened to pop out next to. Uh, That they is got a lot of radiogenic particles within the atmosphere that they think they can essentially use to lose the Ture ships that are chasing them. Uh, They don't really offer a reason why they think like the Skeletor people will be less resistant to radiation than them. It's just a wild guess. They're like, I don't know, we're getting shot at and we're going to get exploded if we're not
1: careful here. So uh, why don't we uh, why don't we see if this works? Anyways, but like, it listen, does we got two options one is we try to hide in this radiation cloud or two is my my old standby which is blow the ship up so uh, we'll give option one a shot option three of have go on a dream quest does not seem applicable <laughs> here option four of
0: have seven of nine uh solve it with singing uh, apparently, <laughs> it was just not on the table that day the planet that they wind up uh Taking refuge on is, of course, as you would expect, the one that we saw in the uh, pre credit sequence. And uh, most importantly, is a completely nuked out wasteland. Like there's gamma radiation. Uh, we see a ruined cityscape
1: and actually also see Voyager sit down within it. Like- no code blue either. They just yeah. land on that right in red alert. And I was so distracted by. The uh nuclear apocalypse that had visited this planet. That I was like, oh wait a minute, wow, Voyager's actually landing on the surface. This is like landing number four. There was Demon eighty sevens, or what the what was that fucking stupid one? Thirty sevens, thirty seven. That episode per-
0: would be way different if it was a bunch of people from nineteen eighty seven instead of like Amelia Earhart and Tackleberry and random Japanese imperial guy. It could have been Ronald
1: Reagan. Mr. T, Alf? and Tom, Tom Paris getting ad- addicted to crack. <laughs> I found the new, I found the newest gimmick to get the ship hooked on. Here's the, the newest dad. 20th it's crack cocaine, crack
0: cocaine, guys. And talking about needing an always sunny tease, the gang discovers crack cocaine.
1: So yeah, they land the ship, man, and it's um, it's like the fourth. I, I think it's the fourth time. So a big deal in and of itself. And every time they land Voyager, it looks significantly better than the last time they landed it. So that's cool. I'm kind of like, all right, so you got dudes up in orbit. You're landing on the surface of a planet. That's been orbital bombarded to bejesus and back. And you're just landing there on the surface. Like this doesn't seem like a great plan. Why aren't the Skeletor people continuing to like, just shoot photon torpedoes down Uh, spoiler alert. They, draw that conclusion later on and start hammering them. But, but for right now, things are safe and they do their little scan and they're like, wow, everybody's dead, but Hey, wait, I just found the bat cave and it's packed full of stasis pods. And Janeway's like, Oh my God, let's go check it out. Hey, we're in a red alert firefight. I'm going to take our tactical officer and also the smartest person on the ship who should realistically be making repairs. And we're going to go check out a bat cave full of Peter's favorite thing in 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 voyager and that's stasis pods yep good old-fashioned juggalo tech rear in its ugly head we're talking of course of uh the thaw and the stasis pods which solve so many problems for so many voyager plots uh and there they are that that they built enough of
0: to put every single member of the crew on remember (sighs) i remember where are those where where did they put them They put their their full stock of uh, shuttlecraft and they like they they (laughs) turn the stasis pods into shuttlecraft. Like what happened? What happened to one hundred and thirty six stasis pods? They became one hundred and thirty six photon torpedoes. (laughs) No, that came from that came from the Equinox because they they got all the treasure chests with photon torpedoes in it. We've established that there's a story. What there is not a story for is how it is we go from this planet is a radiation filled hellhole to, hey, let's go unprotected into this unknown alien landscape where there might, you know, be potentially dangerous,
1: you know, poison gas in the air. Rad roaches or uh, uh, what what were the zombies called? Oh, ghouls? Rad ghouls? Was that what the glowing ones were? Well, the glowing ones were the super ghouls, but they were just schools they go to the the nuclear wasteland of uh, fallout 3 I, you know i'll cut them a break and maybe they scanned the target destination and saw that it was like super reinforced yet somehow the transporter is able to transport them and in reality it's because you and i know that there's only two uh spacesuits that were made for first contact so that's the only two spacesuits voyager has access to and if they're going to bring three people they can't have three people in two suits, so they make
0: their way into the uh, concrete floor chamber and find the uh, the stasis pods. They note that the male uh, occupant of the pods we saw earlier is alive and within the pod. Uh, Janeway and Tuvok resolve to investigate further, but for Seven of Nine hesitates and then s- impulsively decides to reanimate this person. Which ends up being a story through line for the rest of the episode and I think a, a underappreciated, compelling
1: idea, which is why Seven of Nine did it. It is a head scratcher and it really kind of identifies a inconsistency in her character and that she is so protocol oriented and loves rules and procedures Yet she veers off of them so frequently, uh, subverting the command structure, authority and causing problems. So in this episode, I think they like you just said, they do a good job of kind of justifying. Why is it that someone who loves rules and regulations would so frequently go off script? And it's because there's a guilt component. She wants to do good and she's ultimately a child.
0: The jumping off point for me on why I I like this part of the episode is that it provides a lot of contrast between earlier Seven of Nine, who is very rigid in regards to efficiency and uncaring in the slow character development that we've had since then of her making connections with people, trying to mature on an emotional level beyond the stunted childlike growth that she was able to experience and in this case, it manifested an impulse of, I want to help these people, which is uncommon for her because, you know, she, first she didn't care about anything and then she really only cared about a few people. Then she cared about Voyager and now she's learning to have empathy in general. But as you alluded to, she hasn't found a way to regulate that 100% effectively yet.
1: So, yeah, she goes up to the nearest stasis pod. Uh, wipes some shit off the screen, uh, deactivates it, and thaws the sky out. So Janeway comes up like, hey, I didn't tell you to do that. And Tupac's like, you know, these guys might be hostile and spitting acid or whatever. Uh, But instead we're greeted with someone who seems pretty even keel at first. He explains that... uh, His culture had been uh, swarmed by its enemies and attacked. that they knew that the attack was coming and that this super bat cave was kind of a last ditch preparation to have a a continuity plan in place that they were only supposed to be out for um, five uh, years. And obviously it's been much longer, but that kind of gets fleshed out in sick bait. At first, he's just like, oh, God, it's been 900. What stumbles over? To uh, the other pod with the woman in it. They crack it open. It pops apart. You see a skeleton in there. And he's like, Oh no, that's so and so. She was my wife. In the most no big deal voice possible. And that's like the first red flag that goes up for you.
0: Gedrin is his name. And his next scene is on Voyager. It's in the sick bay. You know, he's interacting with the doctor. And then interacts with Seven and, and Janeway when they come in and we get the first kind of uh, tidbits of information about their backstory, how long it's been. He knows what the Borg are, but the Borg don't know what his race is as he identifies the Vaudoir. And uh, he mentions in further conversation that there was uh, a uh, a entire regiment of his people He describes it in military terms. I thought he said battalion. Or maybe it was battalion you're right uh he describes the uh the group as a military formation he used some kind of language along those lines and along with their weapons like their fighters <laughs> like all the shit they need to equip themselves as weapons of war and uh as he relates you know the passing of his wife and her panic at as the planet was being bombarded he uh he dismisses it in a very uh, warrior ethos sort of way uh the the quotations that he uses are, are essentially paraphrased from uh r- real world uh samurai literature <laughs> so there is this immediate pressure that builds in the characterization of the Vaadwar in general that they're militaristic and they're not openly like snidely whiplash mustache twirly evil, but they're not like the, the, the Federation and in, in, in ethos from the beginning.
1: They do not come in peace and they do not seem to prize mercy. And, you know, the the no big deal tone that he said, oh, yeah, this was my wife back on the surface. You know, he kind of condemns his wife, saying it's a shame that she went out like such a coward and that she could not just accept uh, fate and, and you know, showed hesitation and this and that. And Jane was kind of like, wow, that seems real cold. And then he'll go on to flesh it out a little bit. But, uh, you know, we'll later find out that these vaudois, as children are encouraged each night to go to bed thinking of how to die a different way. So there's this there's Very a clean death,
0: yeah.
1: death cult element to them for sure. And the family
0: and militaristic regimentation is also very Cardassian. Cardassian,
1: yeah, that's what you're saying.
0: Yeah, the 9 really establishes they are space fascists. Like that is how their whole society has always been organized. So they are, in a lot of ways, not just physically resembling the, the both of them, but also, in, a, in, in terms of their society, although the headshot of Gedron that they have here in Memory Alpha is so obviously trying to give them the visual aesthetic of a cobra hood. That really yeah. was what they're going for with the neck ridges there and uh, to make them stink like in a, in a very uh, unique way. And not not to uh, shock you. Uh, this episode is w- the one that got nominated for an Emmy for uh, hairstyling in a series.
1: Yeah, they've come a long way from the foam trash fest of the, the Kazon. Uh, so he recognizes Seven of Nine as Borg, even though it's ridiculous for him or the fried chicken people to know that she's Borg because all she has is one thing on her uh, yeah, she's eyebrow. She's got
0: a thing on her eye. She's clearly Borg. Yeah.
1: Um, Get him. I'm assuming that your request for me not to look at the memory alpha focuses on this and they dance around it he says oh you know i've met a couple of borg back in my time the borg had only assimilated a handful of systems so i'm wondering did the klingassians did the var create the borg or have something to do with the foundation like nothing that i've ever seen has ever really touched on what the borg are and and i'd like to throw some hypothesis or, or some some conjecture out there that you know, I've always thought the Borg was a race, a cautionary tale about what happens when you overembrace technology, and that the Borg were a condition that's that a that a people did to themselves. But what if the singularity taking over the biological uh, imperative? Yeah, basically. but what if what if the Borg were developed as slaves? slave labor and and instead of having you know people who would be resistant to it you could just indoctrinate them and assimilate them into this program and it's now like a, sci- a cylon thing kind of okay we conquered you and now you know we're instead of enslaving you you're going to be assimilated and maybe you know you'll like whatever life is in there you know we'll, we'll force you to like it in this matrix-like construct and then, you know you're going to build houses and spaceships for us uh slaves indentured servants, uh, a weapon. Hey, here's a hostile region. We don't want to fuck with it. So here's this nanoprobe virus, and it's going to basically make literally, we joke about space zombies, but, you know, the umbrella com- corporation of outer space is like, yeah, we're going to introduce the the Borg virus and uh, bring these solar systems under our sway, you know, through that. So I think there's a lot of different ways they could go with Borg origin stories and and I think these guys are going to be a part of fleshing that out and hopefully it's not going to be complete ass but based on your earlier statements about what Voyager ultimately does to the Borg I think that is a wrong assumption for me to make there's some other little hints about how oldie
0: McOld, Gedrin and his people are they refer to Neelix's people as the Talix Izay Talix Zay uh, which is uh, apparently the ancient form of Telaxian. Uh, Neelix relates that his people's ancient tongue had used the word Vodwar to represent foolishness. So it's all this hints of mythology of the uh, different Delta Quadrant races that we have encountered uh, is where the memory of the Vodwar live. Um, I do take a little bit of an issue with the fact that. Something that happened nine hundred years ago is now completely mythologized in spacefaring races, rather than something that's known. Like we here on Earth have a pretty decent idea of what was going on here in you know eleven twenty AD, right? Nine hundred years ago, prior to now, it we we have written records. We we have uh, a generally good idea of who ruled what, where, and what they were like. It strikes me as odd that everyone would be like, well, we don't know what happened 900 years ago, even though we all had space weapons and particle beams
1: and all that shit back then, too. No one wrote it down. We didn't know that CDs and DVDs had a shelf life and that that stuff would, like, crumble after a while. So, yeah, we lost. We lost. We, <laughs> lost. we had put all of our family. Dan,
0: we Dan, put our damn overrider life. automatically erasing our history every 500 years, which is missing shit now.
1: We put all the family photos on those old AOL discs we got free in the mail. And man, yeah, data rot. And and again, it's very curious that the Borg of all people don't have uh, complete files from back then, since uh, seven of nine can seem to remember every other little trivial fact about how the chicken people's energy systems worked. So, you know, you had a real bonehead moment out of Neelix there, some real Anti ambassador moves, saying, "Hey, yeah, your name means dumbass in my tongue, but <laughs> eh. lack
0: of uh, empathy and uh, emotion in the Vaudoir is shown when the uh, the Skeletor people are starting to drop depth charges, and uh, uh, you do actually get again some cool exterior shots of like bombs hitting the already bombed out city as they try and dial it in." Uh, And uh, Gendron's like, hey, just blow them up using our ancient spy satellite to see where they are up there. You know, shoot some more of your photon torpedoes. I know you have 87 of them next to all of your shuttlecraft. Uh, You know, just just blow them all up. And Janeway's like, yeah, we're not kind of down for that sort of thing. And that's when they finally make the connection on the subspace corridors. And the deal is made where... Uh, Gendron promises that they can get Janeway a thousand light years closer to home in exchange for helping him wake up the rest of his people and help them get into the corridors as well, because they're the ones that originally found them and mapped them and ultimately relate that their destruction was related to the, uh, uh, jealousy
1: of other races for their capture of that technology. Seems legit. Solid story framework. I, this is good sci-fi writing, especially out of Voyager. And oh, yeah. Uh, all the pieces seem to, to the fit. The
0: va and are very well done, like very fleshed out. You get a real good sense of what
1: they're about, so, even without a ton of detail. Who's the story writing credits on this and who's the director?
0: It is the uh, Michael Taylor, Brennan Barriga, uh, Joe Manowski trio. Michael Taylor uh, did the story and uh, it was directed by Winrich Colby, who's a old 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 trek hand he's done a lot of voyager episodes not a lot of our favorites to be honest uh he did do resistance and uh eye of the needle though yeah and uh he was also uh, low-key at kate monger's boyfriend really for few seasons yeah
1: really? which is when he got most of his work yeah interesting how curious that robert duncan mcneil admits that from as much as he talks about rick colby on uh, delta flyers very interesting. They start shooting them for orbit. More... OK, so Janeway's decision to let the Skeletor people off the hook with just a, a light spanking, like, you know, they're going to run off and get more friends like the times. I guess minus, you know, Equinox, when she became like obsessed with murder. I guess she normally does err on the side of caution and and show excessive mercy to those who would swing on voyager's face i remember reading a
0: review of voyager at the time in a major publication and she was described around this time as less a starfleet captain more a democratic senator this is literally what i read in like 2000 1999 and specifically referencing her excessive mercy for, for others at the expense of her own people. Yeah. And, it just stuck with me for 20 years. Having
1: read that sentence as particularly true. Janeway rightfully agrees to the proposal. You know, a it's an incredible opportunity for Voyager to make the journey home with some help of uh local geographical features, but also, you know, you've got, a oppressed people who were driven to the brink of an extinction. And now she's got the chance to thaw them out. And this is a familiar theme for Voyager. Again, the thaw and some other, you know, situations where Voyagers come across a a, a, a stranded civilization. So she says, yeah, let's do that. And they start waking up these soldiers out of their stasis pods and, uh, really investigating, the the full extent of the bat cave and she's got Chakotay with her and they go into this giant underground cavern, which again, I've got a lot of warehouse experience when they show the big map painting of the sprawling underground cavern full of fighter jets and stuff. I'm like, man, that's a lot of wasted vertical space. Like you could have made a lot. (laughs) Look at, look at all of that. They just made this cavern for no reason. Yeah. You need some racks in there. Yeah, like TIE Fighters. It's perfect. That's the uh-huh. way the story stay spacecraft. Yeah. So uh, Chakotay dropped some some ancient wisdom on us. This time it's uh, classic Greco-Roman. Oh, dragon's teeth. When a dragon died on the battlefield, its teeth were scattered and warriors poured out. Okay, Chakotay. Thanks, Thanks for that insight, buddy. Hey, it's an ancient thing
0: about warriors. We better have Chakotay say it. <laughs> like... No one else on this show is qualified to make this statement. It's too cultural. While you're at it, why don't you tell everybody to put their tricorders away? The Vadwar are getting woken up uh, as we are introduced to a few more of the characters. There's essentially a uh, kind of an administrative guy, and there's a clearly more military-oriented leader. And, uh, you know, Gadren is still kind of in charge of the group, but uh, who might outrank out who? Outright, who is never uh, uh, firmly established in terms of their hierarchy.
1: All you need uh, to know about these guys is everybody has Jack boots on except for Gedron. Yeah. And that tells you right there that, yes, the, in true Voyager fashion, uh, the, the the wardrobe language tells you without a doubt, these are space Nazis and there will be blood. Uh, you but are in the
0: Delta th- Quadrant. You should always default to you are probably a space Nazi until proven otherwise.
1: <laughs> You're either a space Nazi or super trash. Uh, now you might have said, "Hey, listen, these guys don't have standing collars, and usually it takes standing collars and jack boots." But yeah, because of the viper-like features of their their yeah, neck, yeah, flare. They're, they're built in. They're the,
0: built
1: in. The Klingassians. Yeah, definitely space Nazis. Uh, The one guy in particular, and I I didn't catch his name, but he's like basically the general Zod of the group. This guy, that's a a good way of describing him. He's clearly the most militaristic of them. Yeah, and he's the guy who later on be like, we're going to double cross Voyager. We're going to kill all of them and and, you know, rain, blood and fire and rebuild our civilization on the skulls of all those who stand. But whatever. Okay, he's not space odd. But uh, that guy I, just the way his face looked and, and his um, composure was like especially evil. Uh, but yeah, Gedren, not necessarily part of the 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 SS on this. And I don't really understand what that power dynamic is, if he was like civilian leadership or a scientist or what. But yeah, it's clear he's got some pull, but he's not in uniform. Gull is the name of the one that is the militaristic one which kind of makes sense Ducat, uh, yeah like right on the fucking
0: nose right absolutely and yeah it's as i mentioned they don't tell you a ton of detail but you get a sense of what's going on with these guys without it the the whole bunch of them come up to i think astrometrics and uh they talk about the the subspace corridors and they mentioned that they never wrote anything down about them for operational security reasons, but they are uh, happy to chart them. Of course, they start to go through kind of the processes that they're going to, to follow, to get everyone awake. And then uh, they're essentially going to just Zerg rush the, uh, the Skeletor people. They're just going to roll out in force, engage them in a quick firefight and then um, make the way to the subspace corridors and bounce because uh, the Vaadwar know about ones that Ture may not have any idea. So that's the plan. Pretty basic. Tuvox tactical thinking is, is it's not exactly, uh, uh, focused on any kind of diversion
1: here. It's just bum rush and, and get the fuck out. Now the Vaadwar are very quick to call attention to the fact that as great as their stuff used to be, it's all 900 years out of date. And, uh, they're flying around in a bunch of antiques at this point. They're very focused and 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 tech envious. Uh, they want Voyager's photon torpedoes. They want to appropriate stuff left and right. Janeway is like, yeah, I'm not doing that. We got real strict rules. Uh, you know, we're going to do it this my way or, you know, it's not going to happen at all. So she does a fair amount of arm twisting. Um. In the process, we get a, a side scene with uh, Samantha, no, Naomi Wildman, who I could have done without. But again, it's a nice point for Neelix to shine. Uh, and she, you know, in case you're not picking up on the breadcrumbs, she's telling us about how what little evil assholes the Vardwar children are how they're making fun of Neelix and saying he's a rat and, you know, all this other true stuff,
0: <laughs> This space Hitler youth, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. they're, they're not good people.
1: Okay. No. We got it. <laughs> so and,
0: do and, we ever and,
1: see Samantha Wildman again, or is she just the absent mother from here out? And you only see Naomi. I think she's occasionally a background extra
0: at, at the most. I don't think she's ever has another speaking line on the show. Ouch. Yeah. It's on getting replaced. <laughs> You're, I mean, they have such an aversion to using guest actors on the show. It's so weird. I, like you, You've you decided you want Naomi
1: Wildman to be a recurring character, but not our mom ever. Come on. That's weird. I think that's an astrometric scene, too, where any, again, anytime Voyager talks about its own past adventures or. You know, a lot of these one-off throw races, if if the writers room bring them back up, like, they're looking at their old colonies and trying to map out where they're going to go and reestablish themselves, and uh, a lot of their holdings were in what has now become DIVOR territory, and those were the uh, authoritarians who hated telepaths, and I'm like, I don't know, these guys seem like they get along pretty well, but a little a little bit of a trip down memory lane, and more discussions about what the Delta Quadrant used to be. And I, I enjoyed all that stuff. Them talking about the different races that we've encountered, but what they knew of them 900 years ago. So, again, a lot of cool world building through the time travel that these guys do. The
0: way they go through this piece by piece is that they have first a scene where Balan is working with them to wake them up. And that's when they kind of hear more about their Klingon-esque, you must think of the ways you're going to die kind of philosophy. And that they jived with, like, reading about the Klingons and the Federation database. Uh, Neelix starts to review more Talaxian folklore about how the what the Valdwar were, like – what records are there of them as he gets more suspicious and the, uh, you know, the, the ask for the weapons is made and, and Janeway turns him down and we start to see some of the uh, backstabby uh, nature of Vadwar the themselves come to light because they have a conversation on their own in in the Batcave where they say, well, you know what, we need new technology, so let's take it off of Voyager and instead of attacking Tour, we'll ambush them, take the ship over, and then we'll use this to get the hell out of here and then uh, you know expand our, our
1: technological uh, knowledge from there. It's a little two-dimensional, but it also serves its purpose. Uh, General Zod is the the thrust behind this uh, this double cross. And uh, I don't know the blocking for how this works out is kind of silly. Like they're talking under a catwalk and you've got Starfleet guys walking above, but whatever. Um, so they lay out the plan that, yeah, they're going to double cross them. Now, what they don't know, Joe, is that Catherine Janeway has a jump to conclusions, Matt. And well, she, has uh, a,
0: she doesn't have a jump to conclusions, Matt. I think that's a little unfair. Because they do have a couple scenes where they establish why she becomes suspicious.
1: She gets an earful from Seven of Nine and from Neelix saying, hey, these guys, you know, they've got some dubious mentions in a couple folklore from the surrounding areas, which Seven of Nine even having records of that seems No, well, uh, I think I think you're selling it short. I
0: really do. They they start with the scene where Gedrin and Seven are looking for a planet for the Vaudoir to settle. And they're like going through the history of the Delta Quadrant stuff that you mentioned of like, how about this colony? Oh, no, this race that we ran into in season four has it now. <laughs> like they, they, you get to hear about how different things are and it's how frustrating it is for the vaudoir to hear. And that's also where you get a little bit more information about why Seven wants to help them. Like his, her focus is on trying to resettle these people and she starts to vocalize more about why she woke them up, because like uh, as a Borg, all I've ever done is destroy civilizations. I'd like to rebuild one for a change. And that's when she gets called in to talk to Neelix, who's like, hey, listen, I went through everything I've got on Talaxian fairy tales. All of my cheese recipes that are meant as bioweapons. I've been through it all. And the Van come up a lot, but as like the fucking bad guys. <laughs> every time and what i thought was so cool she says like you're borg you have the folklore and history of not just the borg but every race the borg ever assimilated so how about you cross reference our folklore with all of the information from the past of all of the races the borg ate and see if there's cross references that are made that line up like is this a uniquely talaxian thing or is there like a history of everyone in the delta quadrant knowing these guys were assholes and i thought that was such a cool piece of connective tissue where they directly say oh let's use seven of nine being the smartest person in the
1: entire galaxy to our advantage and it's neelix who does it all on his own it is cool and all that stuff does work well and it's great connective tissue my counter argument to that is that we've established earlier that uh, superstition and and folklorey tale and stuff like that, uh, the Borg does not classify as a scientific asset and usually dumps out of the collective thought. So that kind of folksy stuff really shouldn't be bouncing around in her head. But whatever, it tells. But a we cool know story. We, we know that that was bullshit from Seven of Nine. Who was just uncomfortable with it because the other Borg
0: demonstrated that knowledge. Which one? When? Uh, in the no social distancing episode.
1: No, there was another one where they're talking about like creation myths or something. Uh, maybe it was Omega Particle. It was Omega Particle. Yeah. Yes. It was Omega Directive, and, and she's saying that, you know, normally creation myth and shit like that uh, gets tossed out of the collective's memory, but because there were scientific elements to so many of these that we kept it around and, and found Omega particles and, and fucked up or whatever. But even if you've got Jane or uh, Janeway getting briefed from seven to nine and Neelix saying, Hey, listen, these guys might be kind of treacherous. Like the way she moves forward with such certainty when she confronts Gedron and says like, yeah, you guys are pieces of shit and I don't trust you anymore. And we're going to order, uh, you know, all but 10 of the ships to turn off. Like, she chooses to act on the suspicions of Neelix and 709 with a certainty that only a metagamer could have.
0: Well, I, I think that it's not metagaming because we saw all of the other warning signs from this point, right? Like the, mil- the militaristic worldview, the jackboots, the lack of caring that his wife died. Hey, why don't you blow those dudes up? Like, there's been little signs of like, I think these guys might be shit. And having a little bit more confirmation makes it, I think, a reasonable thing to say, you guys kind of seem like shit. And it turns out there's a lot of historical records, you know, apocryphal ones, but still records that suggest you're shit. So I think you guys are shit. I think it's all right. That's fair.
1: So now you got your double agent or soon to be double agent, Gedren, and his counterpart, uh, General Zod. Janeway doesn't really seem to do anything to me to justify the heel-face turn that Gedron does. Like, he comes to his senses and becomes a good guy at the end, but it's really out of place. And if there was like a genuine connection between the two of them, something along the lines of what we saw in uh the Dvor Janeway falls in love with the other space Nazi who hates telepaths, like.
0: Well, an episode that's referenced in this episode. They're talking about the Devor Imperium as one yeah, of yeah. the powers that took over the Vodwar's
1: colonies. Yeah, but, you know, Gedrin seems to come to his senses a little too easy. So uh, Janeway leaves the ready room with her meeting after she tells Gedrin what's up, that, that she's read ahead in the script and <laughs> she knows a double cross is coming. They get General Zod on the phone and she's like, listen, only 10 of your craft which you've gone out of your way many times to call attack fighters, not your your peaceful uh, escape craft. Peaceful hug
0: fighters.
1: Yeah, no. Cuddly dog fighters. No, our, our drive-by vehicles. Uh, she's like, look, only 10 of them are going to be involved in the plan to uh, thwart the Skeletor fleet from, from causing uh, blockade. Have everybody else turn their guns off? And he's like, no. And she's like, yeah, or else... And she gets off the phone with me and she says, you know what? Fuck it. We're leaving now. I, like I said, I read ahead in the script. I know it's going to happen. There's a exchange between General Zod and Gedrin. And it, I've always wondered, like, what does the other person see when they're talking to the Voyager crew on, like, the main view screen? Like, do you only get to see. Janeway, did you see, like, the whole view? But in this scene, general zod like looks right at gedren and there's kind of like this this accusation like you asshole you fucking told her that we're gonna stab her in the back like i see how it is and i think that's what makes him escalate the timeline on his end as well it is all missing just a little bit of development i think that we're close it's not as bad
0: as last week with uh, the uh fox Mulder character deciding out of nowhere that you know he's just gonna totally sacrifice his life's ambition on on behalf of voyager specifically Tuvok, someone by definition he doesn't know
1: uh but it is still a little unearned and a little sudden uh but i'm nitpicking this thing it's all forgivable it's far from the worst
0: oh god this is so much better than everything we've almost everything we've watched this season aside from the premiere it's like better than the premiere too. Like
1: I, I'm being nitpicky, but it's because there's enough good stuff here that it's worth exploring the shortcomings. Because we're being nitpicky not- because it's our brand. <laughs> it's like people come here for that.
0: Yeah. I know that. They don't want to hear us just absolutely tongue all over this thing. They wanna they want a little bit of the the realness. That's what we offer. That's what we market here. It's okay. You know this episode is good. You should watch it now here's all of the shitty things we found that was wrong with it
1: here's mean nerds uh so voyager's like all right we need to get the fuck out of here they go to liftoff and uh the general zod in in 1980s ninja fight fashion starts slowly dispatching wave after wave of small clusters of fighters to stop Voyager. rather than just sending all the dudes out at once and like gunning her down uh he sends like 10 at a time and Voyager where they had reservation about blowing the Skeletors out of the sky has no reservations about fucking up the Klingassian attack fighters.
0: Really, really cool fight sequence though, with the multiple phaser arrays, you know, fighting off the different small fighters as Voyager tries to rise
1: out of the atmosphere. Neat, Absolutely. I have it, visuals. Li- I have it listed in my notes as dope escape fight and it's (laughs) It's, that is what it was it's sad that stuff like this stands out as much as it does again i don't think there's anything here that's really like wow oh my god you know this is better than star wars like it's shit you probably would have seen in babylon 5 and i'm i'm certain that you see in deep space 9 but this is just stuff you don't ever get to see on voyager and certainly not at this quality and it makes it stand out and keeps it memorable and I appreciate having it, and I don't know, Voyager's not ultimately a show about space war, so that's why we don't get more of it, I guess, but it's cool when you do. They contact the Skeletor people and
0: say, hey, we accidentally woke up the Space Hitlers, (laughs) would you uh, please help? And that's when uh, Gedrin makes his heel turn to face to say... All right, guys, I'll totally help by going back down to the surface with Tuvok, you know, temporarily until Tuvok can dramatically leave uh, to help guide the uh, Skeletor bombs. Uh, so that Voyager who's getting the shit kicked out of it now by 900 year old fighters, not their week, can can safely escape. And this plan is successful. Uh one last trick by Janeway to take up all of the gamma radiation in the atmosphere, turn themselves into the Incredible Hulk, totally not get cancer <laughs> to power the ship after they get uh, they lose main power. But uh, they get out of the atmosphere and the uh, Van are seen starting to try and blockade run the terrain and Voyager's like, fuck this and just warps away.
1: Look at this huge mess we made. We just stepped in dog shit, and not only did we come into your living room and walk all over the carpet with it, but we also laid on our back and put dog shit footprints all over the walls and windows, too. Please rate us on Nextdoor. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Bye! No wonder, we we still wonder why people hate
1: us! The the two nacelles on the side of Voyager may as well just be middle fingers. <laughs>
0: We were just happening across this part of the galaxy, wandered into someone's private property, you know, moopsed our way onto this planet and then woke up a bunch of space Hitlers that everyone had to band together 900 years ago to vanquish and immediately start shit with everyone around them.
1: Oh, look, we found found Sauron's army. Don't mind us. We're going to get out of here. A lot of cool stuff happens in a minimal amount of time here. Uh, This episode's tight, man. There's not a wasted moment. Yeah, Gedrin's heel face turn, like it's not just, okay, I'll help you guys. It's I'm going to betray everything that's left of my people. I'm going to take this military satellite that's been our only edge in this fight with the Skeletor people, and I'm going to give it to the Skeletor people so they can start blowing up my friends and their families uh down on the surface. Like some real shitty shit. And then, like you said, they beam down. He's got Tuvok with him for a minute, which again, it seems like a bad time for Tuvok to be leaving the bridge, but that's Tuvok. And then, you know, the 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 cave starts rumbling and concrete and shit's falling down from the top. And he's like, I'm gonna stay here and make sure that, you know, the skeletors really have every available opportunity to kill my to genocide us, but you should go. And then Tuvok puts up 0.0% fight just fucking, like yeah, I barely know you, so yeah, I'm out of here. Not even <laughs> good a good guy. He's just like, and I'm out. Boop. Deuces. Uh, there's a fun line where General Zod's talking to someone. And he's like, yeah, listen, after we take over Voyager, execute everybody. I'm like, oh, damn, that's cold. That's cold. But then they're like, well, hey, we got all these uh stasis pods. He's like, yeah, go ahead and just jam them in the stasis pods. Instead, we're going to pull some fucking... Um, some Kazon shit and leave them stranded on a crappy planet and we'll see if anybody wants to help them out in 900 years. And I was like,
0: yeah, they got this cool program with this clown that they recovered a while back. We'll just throw that in there, you know, mm-hmm. keep them company. It'll be good times. I, if they had taken out the scene with Naomi Wildman and just had one more development scene with specifically with Gedron, like why he and how he connects with everybody. I think they
1: could have solved that problem. It wouldn't have taken much. Absolutely. That's a great point. They you could have absolutely thrown that fucking scene out. It could have been Gedrin bonding with uh with Neelix and and just something to pull his head out of his ass just a little bit cuz keep in mind all of these guys it's felt like they were like in a dream and they just woke up. It's not like, Oh God, I got summoning sickness and I could tell it's been so long. Like for all these people, they just took a nap and woke up like they're in the middle of a fucking war and everybody's like allegiance to the cause should be 110%. So that that's, that's a loose, a a weak part of the episode. Again, it's not a showstopper, but uh, this is a great episode to really just highlight Voyager's meddling, a potential like I would say short of Janeway letting the Borg live in Scorpions is probably the biggest dick move that they have pulled in in the entire run of the show uh, to wrap up our discussion you know they have the scene at the end where seven's
0: like oh man shouldn't have done that Janeway's like You're probably right um, there is something I wanted to share with you since you didn't read the memory alpha that kind of sets the stage for what happens next you ready sure although the final scene heavily implies that the vaudoir would become a recurring antagonist to the crew they did not appear again after this episode come on what i'm not kidding you all of this setup that teaser at the end this entire episode this entire episode's premise of setting up this new race this threat that gets into the galaxy that voyager is culpable for all of this work that they do and they literally never show up in this show dude are you fucking commit- i'm a- not a- kidding you
1: exactly what i said like this feels like a special like there's the regular i don't know if you remember mask right the oh yeah i loved mask i had two mask, mask like okay Uh, we're going to move away from Venom as the bad guy or let's GI Joe, you know, GI Joe. We've been fighting Cobra for years and now we're going to roll out a new threat and it's going to be snake people from outer space. And here's a special one hour because, you know, it's half an hour. Here's a special one hour um, series premiere or season premiere where we're going to, Here's the new bad guy, and this is the threat, and here's the action figures, and, and and you know, this is gonna be lingering repercussions and consequences to the end for G.I. Joe. Like, that's that's exactly what it felt like in this. This is a big money episode, very clearly. Lots of costumes, lots of sets, lots and lots of money into CGI budget. And you're gonna tell me that they're never gonna use it again. Like, what a fucking botch. You've got a great story. You know these guys are are thought out. You've got cool throwback shit to 900 years ago that that could be involved here. Like this is the Skevians all over again. The Skevians back in, uh what the hell are they really called? Wh- whatever. I, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Vlad Goldblum and the Skevians back in season one. They were supposed to be persistent antagonists along with the Kazon. right? And the and the um uh, the Phage guys, the Vidians. And the Vidians hung around for a little bit, and certainly we got a lot of K's on, but the skevians they just dropped them like a, a hot potato. And I always, to me personally, I think the Skevians would have been the best antagonist or, or just alien race, period, that Voyager could have produced. And to, for you to fucking tell me that we're never going to see the Klingassians again, like, what a goddamn shame. Like, who? How? How? Who? Why? And this is why I didn't want you to read the memory alpha, because
0: this this I just wanted your untainted reaction for the first hour of everything that they do the work overtime to set this so much up for, with this episode and leave all these unanswered and unanswered questions only to just simply never use them ever again in any way. Aside from like a name check, like a season from now. I would have bet it's, money that these guys were the ones who built the board. I, I know. I know. And so does every Voyager fan. This episode is notorious for being like, man, that was really cool. Why the fuck did they use them ever again after that?
1: You're going to give me Barge of the dead and all this other fucking hokey, shitty garbage episodes. And, and, and then there's cool stuff here and you're never going to touch again. Like, fuck Voyager, man, for real.
0: This is the kind of hate like it feels so pure. I'm so glad I made this happen. I just oh, it's, it's just my it's veins.
1: I'm like, "Oh,
0: yes, keep going."
1: Well, you know,
0: <laughs> Oh, no, we've luck- the resignation stage. Yeah.
1: Good luck to General Zod and whatever conquests he and his jackbooted Klingassian cobra people go on to inflict upon the Delta Quadrant. Uh Stupid, you know, back to uh, back to uh, uh, and you don't even see if Gendron really dies either. So, you see
0: that? Do you see like the POV shot of the rubble hitting him?
1: Yeah, but I I, he might as well have just fallen off a bridge in Star Wars. Like, people don't die from falling in Star Wars, and people don't die from rubble falling in, in Star Trek. Just look at Worf how many times did he get covered by rocks, and you know, just jenna trying to replicate that spine right back in yeah i i, I forgot what i was going to say and i don't even want to think about it anymore this is just I'm, so, I'm sorry i ruined something beautiful for you what a turd i'm sorry i'm sorry
0: i but you know what i had to i had to i had to get your hopes up so that i could crush them that's what all right man. What the people
1: want season eight I'm sorry, season six, episode eight. We're going to be going for one small step, and there's a real exciting picture of uh, Paris and Kim sitting in the briefing room. Voyager encounters a graviton eclipse, a dangerous phenomenon that emerges from a subspace on rare occasions. I don't care. I want the fucking clean. Cling- <laughs> <laughs> Never wa-
0: used again, Peter.
1: Never used i don't care about tom paris falling in love with a shuttlecraft and trying to fly into a cosmic string fragment i i care about persistent villains and high stakes like yuck (laughs) if
0: you can stand to emerge from the disappointment uh that i
1: have led you down peter we'll see you next week how about that buddy yeah Listen, man, I'll tell you what, uh, whatever shame and anger uh, Voyager has, has put on me, I'll just shrug off as I stroll into Night City and and take a page out of Seven and Nine's book and just shoot the joint up.